This podcast is a part of the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. Deputy Governor uh, Andy Bernard joins the show uh, this morning. We're going to tackle a couple of thousand pages uh, of uh, budget here in the next 15 minutes. Uh, Nick and I are having a debate. Is, is the budget obtuse uh, uh, by necessity or by design? Uh, I think it's necessity, Brian. I think it's, I think it's necessity. It's, um, it, it's a lot. I mean, if, if you dive into the, the text you know, the book, if you go to um, the Office of Management and Budgets website there, you know, everything is listed in very small font in one document. So, you know, it's a, it's a lot to go through, but it is it is all there. OK, now, when you were a lawmaker uh, and I'm not asking you to talk about anybody else, although I'm sure it's all over the spectrum. <laughs> did you actually read every page of the budget? So, you know, I was a little bit different because if you recall before um, having the privilege to serve in the Senate, I was uh, I was the chief of staff at the Senate, and then before that, I was at, I was the appropriations director in the Senate for for several years. Um, so so I mean I guess you can call me a nerd or a geek I don't know pick a pick a word but you know budgets are my thing. So when when I then served in the Senate and served as the appropriations chair in the Senate, you know it was I would sift through literally every page of that document from. Governor Quinn to Governor Rauner, and then obviously Governor Pritzker before I left. But, you know, that was just the thing I did. Most, most do not. I don't think that's, you know, I don't put value on that. But that, that's why staffs are so important, and that's why public hearing and the public hearing process, which is, you know, now starting in the House and the Senate, um, you know, several committees just spend hours and hours every day uh, for, for weeks um, you know, going through the detail of what the governor put forward last week. Okay, now these public hearings, uh, uh, what, what, who is it for? I mean, I know the word is public, but I mean, you don't have mass participation from the actual public. You know, so, some do, most do not, uh, because, um, and I think that's the nature of of both the proposal and the process. When Governor Rauner was was in office, there was mass participation. Um, Governor Quinn, you know, it was it was a mixed bag. Uh, you know, the last several years, of course, things are just dramatically different when it comes to the state's finances. So, so most of what uh, a governor proposes is usually approved by the legislature, provided it's not you know wild and and completely out of whack. So, so the public hearing process, I think, is is as much about transparency as it is making sure that. You know, the, the stamp of approval from the legislature is in concert with what the governor is saying. And, you know, in this case, in the last several years, we're, you know, we're on five balanced budgets in a row. Um, you know, the, the, the things that plagued budget proposals a handful of years ago just don't do that anymore because because there have been, you know, it, there's been enormous progress on that front. So okay, let's talk about that for are, right, sure. let's talk about that for a second, because, you know, in a, an election year, you're going to hear a lot of stuff. Uh, look, Illinois has a reputation. <clears throat> Nick and I were talking about this. I mean, there's cynicism out there, and there should be. I mean, we've sent two, you know, of the last four governors to jail. You know, Mike Madigan's facing trial. Tim Mapes, you know, like straight out of Goodfellas or whatever, pick your mafia movies, going to jail because he lied on the stand. There's plenty of reason to be cynical about how our tax dollars have been stewarded over the years. But what is not uh, up for debate is that we've gone from what 17, 18 billion dollars in unpaid bills and and literally a junk credit rate to paying our bills on time and we've got two billion set aside for a rainy day yeah and I, I mean you're right you're, you're right that there is reason to be 
cynical be, because of past practice. There, there's there's no de- decades of it. Let's be honest, decades of of just bad decisions. But but you know everything in the last five years points you know points to the contrary to that and you know but perception is a lot. I mean we all know that right. Perception is reality in so many instances. So so we we still have work to do on the perception front. But the the facts are clear. Like you said, there's. There's two billion dollars in the rainy day fund. Um, you know, in 2019 there was four million, so we've gone from four million to two billion. Bills outstanding in 2017, we, we hit 17 billion dollars of unpaid bills at the comptroller's office today. You know, w- w- it's we don't say zero, we say accounts payable. Bills come in, they get paid. Bills come in, they get paid. The, our credit rating was was near junk status. We've had nine upgrades. We still have work to do there, but we've had nine upgrades. In the last couple of years, our GDP in the state, the governor took over. It was eight hundred and eighty billion dollars, which is, you know, which is a, a, a big number. If, if we were a country, um, our own country we would be the 18th largest country in the world. But our GDP has surpassed a trillion dollars today. So our economy is growing, which, by the way, grows tax revenue for for state government. And the one that doesn't get talked about often is our that I like to remind people of is our pension, uh, the, the ratio of our pension systems. You know, what is it funded at? When the governor took over, it went, now it's about 45%. Now, let me be clear, that's not great, but that shows, that's dramatic progress in a, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars um, uh, construct of a pension system. So, so things are going in the right direction now consistently. It wasn't an aberration. This is now consistent progress on those things. And I think that's why the governor was reelected. I, I, I mean, I really do. Uh, but Andy, you know, for folks out there, you know, who just their contact with government is the roads they drive on, the gas mm-hmm. they pay, the groceries and what they cost. I mean, that's how people live their lives. Right. I mean, you know, the union head or, or, or the lobbyists are going to you know, be participating in public you know, uh, stuff in Springfield. Most people aren't right. They just know what they get for what they pay. And, and, and our roads are terrible. Yeah, we're making, I, I will say this and, you know, I, I, I know, um, you know, for, I mean, I think one of the last shows I was on with you, Brian, before I left the Senate, we talked about, um, the disparity with Macon County on, you know, where is road, where are the, where are the road projects at, in central Illinois. And um, the, the construct of how that's done in Macon County, I, I still believe, you know, tilts things against where the population is. So so Macon County and Decatur specifically <clears throat> started from, I think, a deficit because of that and because, frankly, the, the economy of Decatur relies so heavily on moving things. So, so roads um, you know, become exponentially more important and are used in exponential ways. So, so I, I think when when Rebuild Illinois was passed, um, you know, which is now thousands and thousands of miles of roads, hundreds of bridges, and now now IDOT is getting into major major upgrades, uh, like Brush College, for example. But I, I think it's it's worth saying that that Decatur and Macon County started from a very different place than the rest of the state. We're going to get there. We're going to get there because because this plan is doing remarkable things and it's and it's helping grow, um, it's helping grow jobs in our economy. And there's no better place to point to as evidence of that than Decatur. Investment in road infrastructure, investment in 
Lane Miles is helping bring jobs to Decatur, and that's going to just continue. All right, what, what's the latest with the, the drivers for IDOT? I, I mean, has that been settled, or is there still a strike potentially looming there? So, um, so there is there. I, I will say that you know I have, I'm limited as to what I can say, because obviously I um, overstep what bounds we have as in, in this case the state of Illinois is the employer. But there has been I would describe it as substantial progress. Um, both parties were at the table every single day last week through Friday, and um, I will tell you there's substantial progress that has been made. Um, th- there's four separate groups, you know, there's four separate groups that represent IDOT employees, all of which are Teamsters. Um, all four of those groups have been in constant contact uh, with uh, the state's negotiating group. And there has been substantial progress that I would report to you that was uh, that was achieved last Friday. All right. That's good news. I appreciate that. Yeah. <clears throat> I know education has always been uh, the thing that you have been uh, most passionate about. I look at the general funds and the proposed budget, 20.2% to pre-K through 12. Um, is, is public education the institution? And, and I think you could probably say Florida, Illinois, Indiana. I don't think it's special here. Is it working doing it the way we've always done it? And, and can you throw enough money at it to make a difference? So I, I'll tell you this. We, we, um, we're now evidence-based funding was passed in 2017, um, implemented fully in 2018. So we're now several years into this. And what, you know, if you dive in and see where money is being spent, see how things are improving, you will, this is what you'll see, Brian, you'll see um, substantial growth in terms of outcomes for underfunded school districts. Now, now that's not done in the laboratory, right? That that's because, because Decatur public schools are very different today than they were even when evidence-based funding was passed a few years ago. So so while the state is prioritizing new money to underfunded schools like DPS or Bunker Hill, where I live, um, things are still changing on the ground in those districts. So you'll, you'll see substantial progress in, in those underfunded districts. You'll see um, also um, that districts are spending the money as it was intended, which I think was you know a legitimate um, criticism of the bill I sponsored, that there was no... You know, there was no funding police running around the state making sure that districts did exactly what the intention of the law was, uh, because that was the balance with local control. But districts are actually doing that now. Um, but but I think where where I see um, the necessity of of you know what what is next is that things are just getting so challenging in public school districts. I mean, w- you know, we see that each and every day, regardless of where where we live and, you know, is that funding going to keep up with that? Um, the answer is that's, you know, is obvious that, that that is incredibly challenging, but the good news I think is that equity gap is being closed. We're seeing that when, when, you know, Illinois is a standout nationally. Now, now this is a massive change too, for us when it comes to equity, when it comes to outcomes from public schools, but but I see as a you know as a parent like every other parent there's just so many there's just so many continued challenges in schools you know my you know my wife Trista's a you know she does social work and you know just you know what what she sees on a daily basis I think would uh, would shock the average person frankly and and I don't know you know equitable equitable funding helps with that but but you know that that is always going to be changing at the local level. 
All right. Economic development overall, all funds, 7.4%. Uh, to me, that's the silver bullet, right? I mean, better mm-hmm. jobs, higher paying jobs, more opportunities for people, lift up every boat. Uh, why not more for economic development? So it's, it's highly targeted. And what you see there, um, by the way, I'm impressed you're, you're, you're looking at our slide deck. Um, we're, we're proud of that. And we're proud of that. I'm proud of that. Um, look, I'm cheating. We do, so I'm cheating. You. I'm cheating. I'm only using the 43 no, no, page I'm, document. I'm complimenting you, right? <laughs> um, so, so what you're seeing there is the is the spending side. What you don't see there is um, is the you know what what is the targeted tax credit side, because that's that's not on you know that's not an uh, an outlay of expenditures. So, so 7.4 seems low, but there's all these other things that happen when it comes to giving an incentive to a company. Um, I will say this, so there is no better example of, of Governor Pritzker's efforts to grow the economy than, than Decatur. Um, we, we have, you know, Illinois' workforce is second to none. I, I know that personally that Decatur is a shining example of that. Um, you know, the work that's being done at Enrich, the work that's being done to retrain employees, the work that's being done to bring new people into the workforce, that is paying dividends in terms of growing jobs into Caterpillar, ADM, Fuyao, you name it. Um, there's no better example of what is right with Illinois than, than what's happening in Decatur. I'll tell you, we have one of the highest workforce participation rates in the country among large states. I think we're the highest in the Midwest. We're consistently at number one or number two. When we go out and pitch a company, Brian, um, and the governor goes to, you know, we, we go, you know, overseas, we go around the country to pitch companies. If we can answer the workforce question, we're going to get their attention because, you know, people and having skilled workers is comes at a premium these days. So there's no better example than Decatur. And that's why we, you know, we've had so much success. And that's why, you know, the governor's going to be there um, again, um, you know, with with other announcements, with partners in the business community and um, economic development, that 7.4% is, is remarkably important to growing the state's economy. That, of course, as I said earlier, helps us grow tax revenue as well for services that people expect. All right. A couple uh, last questions here. Uh, you are the self-described nerd or, or geek. I, I want to talk a little bit about quantum computing because I think this kind of rolls over a lot of people and they're not really taking a dive into this. One of the things that's impressed me the most about the governor, and, and by the way, who wrote the term doom grifters? Who came up with that? <laughs> so the, the governor has very a very talented individual who helps uh, helps write his speeches. I will say this though, he is hands on. Um, he uh, takes he he takes he takes the state of the state slash budget address very seriously. I know you're not going to be shocked by that, but um, but he is a hands on speechwriter himself. All right, that, it's a great phrase. All right, so quantum computing. Why is this important? It's the future. Um, it, it, you know, that's my, that's my short answer. It's the future. And, um, there are decisions being made by companies that have incredible growth potential for, for a generation to come. Those decisions are being made right now. And governor Pritzker has rightly identified that timeline and is aggressively, um, attempting to put Illinois within that mix. So if we can, you know, whether it's um, electrical vehicle manufacturing, like, you know, like TCCI, there was a decision to be made about where that investment was going to be made. It was either going to be in Decatur or it was going to be somewhere else that is in Decatur or some other country. 
So just like TCCI on quantum, there are decisions being made by companies about where they're going to invest billions and billions of dollars. We, we can present to them this. We can present to them co communities that have infrastructure that is second to none. Um, we can present to them communities that has a workforce that is second to none. We can present to them a functional state government that balances its budget, that can invest in things, um, that draw public-private partnerships to the state. But at the end of the day, it is about jobs, and it is about private investment. And that's why this piece of the governor's budget proposal for, for quantum is, is about growing the state's economy for a generation to come. That's why he prioritized it. And, you know, we're going to have to sell this, um, but but that's why it's a priority in the governor's budget proposal. All right. What about EV uh, infrastructure? To me, this is still the big sticking point, whether real or perceived to a lot of people about making the switch. You, you know, um, when, when is it going to look like, you know, EV gas stations all over the state of Illinois? Yeah, we, we have some time, obviously, because um, before that happens, because of just the, the, the nature of what it takes to, you know, flip the switch on a on a charging station that performs in a way that people want it to perform. We're making substantial progress. The governor's budget, um, you know, reinforces what he's already put in place when it comes to bringing uh, manufacturing and expanding what we have all the way to um, making sure that there are targeted incentives for people um, to, to purchase vehicles. Um, the state is purchasing vehicles, by the way, made you know, made by manufacturers uh, that have a presence in Illinois. And then there's the, the charging infrastructure, uh, which is led by uh, the Environmental Protection Agency, the IEPA. Um, so, so whether it's rebates or whether it's infrastructure, you know, partnering with, uh, with private, uh, in, in some case, retailers or I guess industry more broadly is key. And you'll see that as well in the governor's budget address. We have some ways to go. But uh, this past year, particularly, we've made some good progress in the state. Okay. Can you explain to the folks, you know, you're, you're a downstate guy. Uh, most of us are looking up at Chicago and going, what in the hell is going on? Uh, and as people want to use, you know, migrants as like chess pieces, you know, you know and uh, I, I hate the politics of all this. But, but why is it that Chicago can't seem to communicate with the governor's office? So the, the communication, I'll tell you, the communication happens every day. Um, I think what, you know, first we should acknowledge this is an, a remarkably complicated um, emergency situation that's happening each, each minute. I mean, th th there's no resting here. It's a minute-by-minute minute management proposition that, that requires coordination of all levels of government, not just the city and the state, but, but Cook County as well. And... It, and the complications are born in a situation to where in the, you know, the, the middle of winter in of a Chicago winter, you know, bus doors open and uh, children walk off of that bus in flip flops and tank tops. And um, and there they are. There they are. And, and many times it's not at a coordinated location. You know, it could be on a street corner, for example. So so that there is born the complications of what's what's happening. And, and you know, we can talk about, you know, the politics behind that, Brian. Um, I, I'm not going to this morning because I think we all know what it is. But but right there is, is why it's so complicated. So, so moving people, first of all, from from a street corner to a you know, children in flip flops to a place that, you know, that that is responsive to that immediate emergency need. 
um, is complicated. That is complicated. You know, getting them uh, to a shelter that is, you know, procuring those those services is complicated. So, um, you know, we're not that far into this at this point when you think about it. But but there is there is coordination work that happens every minute of every day. And it's going to continue until the emergency stops. And ultimately, there's a, a what's going to be required, of course, is a bipartisan agreement in Washington to uh, to address the border crisis. And until that happens, unfortunately, I think Governor Abbott's going to keep doing what he's doing, which is you know going to put stress and strain on both state government and local government. All right. Listen, on the humanity side of this, I couldn't be in more agreement with you. Uh, you were very diplomatic to the mayor. They got to get their act in order. Uh, and I appreciate it. Senator, our Senator, Deputy Governor. See, I go back on that muscle memory stuff. Uh, always great to have you. Uh, please don't be a stranger. And uh, next time the governor's in town, get him in here. All right. Sounds good, Brian. Thanks for having right. me. Have a great day. That's uh, Andy Menar for you. You've been listening to the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. For more, visit newhoffmedia.com.